Bible rather than unpacking one passage, and I'll be referring to Psalm 36, which we read at the beginning of the service. But let me just put a couple of passages in front of you that I'll be looking at referring to, and I'm going to pray and uh, take you into our message this morning. So firstly, here's a few words from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient, and love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it does rejoice with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, and always perseveres. Romans chapter 5. You see, just at the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Won't you, uh, won't you pray with me? Father, we've been... Uh, we've been We've been reading, we've been singing, we've been praying about your love for us. We've seen a demonstration of your love in in the baptism of, of, of Alex and his life. And we pray now that your word would be opened, that you would reveal to us your unfailing love. That we may be held tight this morning, that you might wrap your arms around us. And that however, however we are feeling... From an earthly perspective, however unsettled, however broken, however distraught, however insecure, pray that your unfailing love will be that soothing balm of of comfort and encouragement to us this morning. And that you would give to us your strength and your joy through your unfailing love. In Jesus' name. Amen. Right, well, there's a title for you, and it's The Unfailing Love of Our Lord. The Unfailing Love of Our Lord. When we look at the Psalms, the Psalms, we might say, are the heart cries of God's children to the Father. Sometimes those cries of the children to the Father are cries of joy, like in Psalm 71, 23. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praise to you, I whom you have delivered. Sometimes those cries of the children are are cries of anguish. Like in Psalm 130 verse 1, out of the depths, I cry to you, Lord. 
And sometimes out of those anguished cries comes a, comes a cry for help. As in Psalm 102 verse 1, Hear my prayer, Lord, let my cry for help come to you. Sometimes the cries of the children to the Father are cries of confusion. Why, Lord, do you stand off? Why do you stand afar? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? But if there is one thread that we could try and find that hold the Psalms together, if there was one sort of underpinning thing that we could try and find that, that hold the whole Psalm, the, 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 the whole of the Psalms together, I think it would be this phrase, the Lord's unfailing love. As in Psalm 36 and verse 7, how priceless is your unfailing love. O God, or in Psalm 48, verse 9, within your temple, O God, we meditate on your unfailing love. If you've got a translation like the ESV, it might translate unfailing love as the, the steadfast love, or it might be the enduring love, like Psalm 118 or Psalm 136. In the New Living Translation, Psalm 36, verse 5, your unfailing love, O Lord, is as vast as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches beyond the clouds. In the weeks leading up to this particular message, I have been meditating on the unfailing love of the Lord. And, and one of the reasons that I've been doing that is because I have again been so acutely aware of my failing love to others and the failing love of others towards me. And so my first heading for you this morning is our failing love. Our failing love. Our, our love towards others fails, doesn't it? And others' love towards us fails as well. There's not one of us here this morning that do not know what it means to experience failed love in some way or a failing love in some way or a broken love in some way. For some of us here this morning, when we experience that broken love, it can almost take our breath away, even though that broken love may have happened many years ago. This particular, this particular picture coming up on the screen sort of describes the failed love of so many marriages, doesn't it? Many of them Christian. Some of them have ended. Other marriages, even Christian marriages, just held together by the thinnest of margins. There was a significant survey done in the 19th century that revealed that institutionalized infants in the United States all died of something called marimus. Marimus, which means wasting away. In a 1915 survey, it revealed that the majority of infants under the age of two had died to, uh, due to a failure to thrive related to a lack of touch and a lack of affection. You've all heard of the five love languages, haven't you? Very uh, popularized by a guy called Gary Chapman, and, and here they are. These are the five love languages. These are the five different ways of expressing and receiving love, words of affirmation, quality time, receiving gifts, acts of service, physical touch. And we know, don't we, that not everyone experiences love exactly in the same way. People have different ways that they prefer to receive love. But I mean no one, and I mean no one ever expresses love in an unfailing way, do they? 
No one, and I mean no one, well, except one. You and I have experienced hundreds and hundreds of little ways and big ways where our love for others have failed and others' love for us have failed. The famous song by Elton John, one of his lines went like this, sorry seems to be the hardest word. Perhaps more precisely, I have not loved you as I ought, seems to be the hardest thing to say. Human love, it's changing. It has fits and starts. It splutters and misfires. It's like my diet that starts on a Monday morning and ends by Monday lunchtime. You no longer love someone you loved. And someone who loved you no longer loves you. It's like when Job turned around and said this. He said, all my intimate friends detest me. Those I love have turned against me. And then so often what we, what we, what we think is love can just be disguised as self-centeredness. So often when we say, I love you, it means I love you because of the way that you make me feel. Or I say, I love you, but what I mean is I love you because you love me. Or I say that I love you, but what I mean is I love you, well, I'll love you as long as you love me, which is what we usually mean when we get married. And then human love can be so messed up because we think that if we love, we don't confront sin and we don't confront bad behavior. So, so you get the Bible saying love covers a multitude of sins. And that means, well, if, if we're loving, we don't confront unloving behavior. And then when you do confront unloving behavior, the retort comes back, well, that wasn't loving, was it? How many kids have turned around to their parents and said, I hate you, after they've been disciplined in love? I mean, is it not extraordinary that you can say to someone, I love you, and then I abuse you? I love you and then I'm nasty to you. And I love you, but I will neglect you. I love you, but I will ignore you. I think one of the hardest things that we face when it comes to, 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 to human love is what we might, might call an unrequited love or an unreciprocated love. Uh, what, what I mean, it's, it's, it's a love that's not returned. You love, but it's not returned. It's, it's a little bit like that love. It's a little bit like that love letter that always written on the back, return to sender. Or that love message that just simply goes on to voicemail all the time. Some of you before my time will remember this face. Do you know who that is? Who is it, Judy? Doris Day. Doris Day. And she had a famous song. Here were some of the lyrics from that famous song. She said, I'll never stop loving you, whatever else I may do. My love for you will live till time itself is through. Really? Really? See, the reality of our love is that it's failing. It's fickle. It's changing. At times it's perverted. At times it's selfish. We have a love that often does not persevere. And then when Jesus comes along and he puts his finger into our sinful wounds, he does it in love about love. Do you remember the story of the, uh, the, the Jewish expert that comes to Jesus? And uh, he, he wants to come and test Jesus and wants to come and flout his biblical knowledge. And he comes to Jesus in Luke 10 and says, Jesus, Jesus, what should I do to inherit eternal life? 
And Jesus turns it around and says to him, well, what do, what do you think, expert? What, what do you think? How, how do you think? What should you do? And sort of proud in his biblical knowledge, he says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says to the expert, well, you've done so well. You've done so well. Great quote. Now do it. Do it and you'll live. Do it. You'll have eternal life. And at that very moment, that Jewish expert knew that his love was a failed love. Why? Because he says to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? I think the Anglican book of prayer has probably got it just about spot on. It's got a confession. And here's how the confession goes. Merciful God our Maker and our Judge. We have sinned against you in thought and word and deed. We haven't loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We repent and we are sorry for all our sins. Father, forgive us. You see, the reality of our human love, it's often and can be impatient, unkind, Envious, boastful, and proud. Our love for others can dishonor others. It is self-seeking. It can be easily angered. Our love often uh, keeps a record of wrongs. Our love can be seen to be rejoicing in evil and delighting in falsehood. Our love does not always persevere. It does not always protect. It does not always hope. Our Lord Jesus on earth, he experienced a failed love, didn't he? We know that the Apostle Peter loved Jesus. We know that, don't we? But his love for Jesus was a broken love. Jesus, I'll go with you wherever you say. I'll follow you wherever you go. I will never deny you. Then after the betrayal, after the resurrection, John 21, Jesus pulls Peter aside and you might remember Jesus says to him, Peter, do you? Do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. A second time he asks Peter, Peter, do you love me? He says, Lord, you know that I love you. And then picking it up in John 21, 17, the third time Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus knew that Peter loved him, but what he wanted Peter to know, that Peter's love was a broken love. It was a failed love. And he wanted Peter to know the unfailing love that was his, and he would in time. Our love, it's a failed love. It's broken. It breaks. So from... Our failed love, we go to an unfailing love illustrated over and over in the Bible, not just the Psalms. We get these illustrations of the unchanging, unending, unbroken love of the Father for His children. And perhaps one of the most dramatic illustrations of God's love is in the book of Hosea. 
And if you know anything about the book of Hosea, God commands the prophet Hosea to, to, to marry a woman named Goma. And, and she is likely a, a prostitute even at that time. And, and, and she goes on to prove to be an unfaithful wife. Goma's unfaithfulness and Goma's infidelity becomes a vivid illustration of, of Israel's broken love for the Lord and their ongoing love for other gods. And yet, God says to Hosea, go and love your wife again and again. And, and in one of the most dramatic scenes in, in, in the book, have a look at this. The Lord said to me, go and show your love to your wife again. Though she's loved by another man and she's an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. Though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley, meaning that he actually went and bought her from the prostituted slave trade. The love of the Lord for his people endures forever. But the unfailing love of the father for his children perhaps is, is well, it, not perhaps, it is so dramatically illustrated in the story of the, of the father and the prodigal son. You remember that, don't you? Luke chapter 15, the renegade younger son comes to his father and says, won't you give me my inheritance? Effectively, he says to his father, will not you dead? I wish you were dead. The father gives him his inheritance. He goes off into a distant land, uh, squanders his wealth with wild living. A famine strikes. He finds himself without money, unemployed. Eventually, he's able to get a job feeding pigs. But the man is so destitute. This young man is so destitute. He, he wishes he could even eat the slops that the pigs were eating. He comes to his senses. And he says, I'm going to go home to my father. I'm going to beg for forgiveness. I'm going to beg for mercy. And he starts his way home. And then the most dramatic things happen. He starts making his way home to a love sick. Father, because before he even got close, even way down the road, the father saw him filled with love and compassion, runs to his son, girds up his loins and runs to his son, grabbing him, putting his arms around him and kissing him over and over on the neck. The steadfast love of the Lord for his children never ceases. And these illustrations begin to prepare us for the greatest demonstration of love the world has ever seen, the greatest, costliest love ever to be known. You see, true love is always costly because true love is so radically self-denying and self-giving. So from an unfailing love illustrated, we move to an unfailing love demonstrated. And I want to draw you to those three verses, well, three verses in Romans 5 that I read for you. And I'm going to put them up on the screen and I'm going to ask the tech team at the back, could they just get my face out of the way and just leave up that just for a few minutes so that you can, you can just see them. Verse 6, you see, just at the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? You're probably familiar with the expression, don't tell me that you love me, show me. Look at verse 8. 
Ask yourself, how does the Lord demonstrate His love for us? Verse 8, how does the Lord demonstrate His love for us? Christ died for us. But you notice the tense? You notice it's a present tense? He demonstrates. In other words, something that happened 2,000 odd years ago on the cross continually demonstrates God's unending, unfailing love for us. But I want you to keep looking at those verses. Look at verse 6. For whom did Jesus die in verse 6? For whom did Jesus die? For thee? For the ungodly. Have a look at verse 8. For whom did Christ die in verse 8? Answer? Sinners. Whom did God reconcile to himself in verse 10? Enemies. Do you see it? While we were ungodly, while we were sinful, while we were enemies of God, the Father demonstrates his love for us in giving us Christ to die. The Father didn't demonstrate His love for us in Christ when we were godly, when we were saintly, when we were friends of God, while we were unlovely, while we were unworthy, while we were godless, while we were dead in sin, while we were ignorant, while we were faithless, while we had a failed love towards God and others, Christ died for us. I think, I think the gospel sometimes can be portrayed as, as Jesus dying for people that deserve to be saved. Sometimes the gospel can be portrayed as Jesus dying for people who are worthy to be saved. God loves those who sin against Him. God loves those who rebel against Him. God loves those who are His enemies and that hate Him. While we were objects of wrath, God sent His Son to die for us. How wide and how deep and how long and how high is the love of Christ for us that while we were dead sinners, He died for us to make us alive to Him. You realize we weren't loved after we were saved. We were loved before we were saved. And if we were loved before we were saved, do you think we're loved now that we are saved? Do you think if we were loved when we were godless and full of sin, do you think if we were loved then, we love now? Do you think if we were loved when we were God's enemies, do you think we're loved now that we're His children? So let me take you to my fourth point. An unfailing love that changes everything. Some of you might remember that old song. It's actually a rewrite by Climby Fisher. Love changes everything. Well, it's God's unfailing love that changes everything. And, and so what? What, what? what difference does it make? Firstly, when we are hurting at the failed love of humans towards us. When we're hurting at the failed love of others towards us, we need to know and we need to remember that the Lord's love has not failed us. That when we are not loved by others, we are loved by the Lord. When we're not loved by others, we are not unloved by 
our Father. I know that for many of you sitting here this morning, that you, uh, you, you have, you've had the experience, the deep, painful experience of, of the experience of the failed love of an earthly father. I know that. You may have had an earthly father that was abusive, callous, cold, distant, uninterested. But your heavenly father has demonstrated to you once and for all, forever at the cross, that his love for you will never fail. It will never end. It can never be broken. It never will be broken. A love for you that he would give his son to make you a daughter, to make you a son of the living God. As the words of the old hymn go, Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. So when we're heartbroken at the lack of love of others to us, it's, it's the love of the Father that, that holds us tight. But we should also be heartbroken when our love fails others. And when our love fails others, we need to remember that though our love has failed, the love of the Father for others has not failed. It will not break. And we pray and we trust that the love of the Father will hold His people tight. Now I want you to think this through with me. When, when are the times, when are the times in our lives when we're most likely to doubt the Lord's love for us? When are we likely to doubt? We often doubt the Lord's love when we have failed the Lord, isn't it? If we've failed the Lord in some way, we can... We may never say it quite like this, but if we failed the Lord, it's like, well, is the Lord still going to love me? Though I haven't loved Him, will He, will he love me? And then you have a verse like Numbers 23, 19, which says, God is not human that He should lie. He's not a human being that He should change His mind. God... It's not human. It doesn't have a fickle love, a changing love. His love does for us doesn't change when we don't love him. Remember Peter again. Let's just go back to Peter. Remember John 21? Remember the interchange? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? But just for a moment, put yourself into Peter's shoes. What was he thinking? Had he failed the Lord? He, he, was, he was realizing that his was a broken love, right? What was probably going on in Peter's heart? Lord, do you still love me? I failed you, Lord. I denied you, Lord. <laughs> I made vows that I couldn't keep and broke. When we fail the Lord as his followers, and we so often fail the Lord, our doubts need to dissolve because the Lord has demonstrated, demonstrates his love for us. Christ 
died for you. And as as we grow in this deepening knowledge, as we grow in this knowledge of the love of the Father, when we do fail, we'll start to run to Him with our sin and our failure instead of away. I know it's not stated this way, but I wonder why was Peter on the beach fishing after the resurrection? What was he doing? He was running. He couldn't face the Lord. He couldn't face Him. His failure caused him to run. It's just like Adam and Eve when they sinned. Where did they go? Go hide in the bushes, covering their shame with fig leaves. Understand that if we deepen our understanding, if we have a deepening understanding and knowledge of the Lord's love for us, we don't run away from the Father when we sin. His unfailing love actually draws us to Him. We can run to Him. And then another tendency is that when we fail, we fail the Lord, then we want to try and do something to earn the love back, don't we? Now just think about the irony in this statement. Earn back the unfailing love of the Lord. Let that ring for you. Earn back the unfailing love of the Lord. How do you earn back something that's unfailing? Do you see the irony? Another time that we doubt the Father's love is when painful things happen to us. Painful things come in so many forms and fashions, and when we get a taste of Job's life, whether we lose health, lose loved ones, uh, 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 lose livelihoods, that, that, that doubt creeps in, doesn't it? Because this has happened to me, because this painful thing has happened to me, does the Lord still love me? If, 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 if the Lord could have prevented that thing from happening to me, maybe he doesn't love me anymore. Maybe you could fill in the blank like this. Where was God's love when? And we know it's a significant sticking point for non-Christians, don't we? You say to a non-Christian, God loves you. And what do they turn around and say? Where was God's love when? When that was happening and when this is happening, where is God's love? But the cross of Jesus does not just demonstrate the Father's love, but the cross also demonstrates that Jesus Christ has entered our world of pain and suffering. Jesus did not just die at the cross to forgive us our sins. His his suffering was also a personal entering of our suffering. We always say, don't we, the Lord sees, the Lord knows, that the Lord is in control of all things. But does He really know? Does the Lord really, really know what you're going through? And so He entered our world. And took on our pain and took on our suffering. That he might become that high priest to whom we go. Because he knows. He knows. So often in our deep suffering, in our deep hurt, 
that too, like our sin, it can push us away from the Lord. But our pain needs to take us to the Lord. We can trust Him with that pain. We can trust Him with that suffering. We can trust Him with that betrayal. We can trust Him with that violation because He knows. He knows. He knows. We can't always know the whys of why God allows this or allows that. Or we, we just can't know the, I put it this way, we can't know the whys of the whys of the Lord. But, but one thing you can know is because Jesus has entered our world and entered our pain and carried our sorrows, sufferings and pain and sorrows, we can know that our Father is not uncaring. We can know that He is not indifferent. We can know that He is not somehow apathetic. Jesus was a man familiar with sorrow tempted and suffered in every way like we are, yet without sin. So when a, when a non-Christian says to you, where, 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 why, if God loved me, why didn't he stop? If, 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 if God loves me, why didn't he stop? As loving and as gentle as you can, you ask that Christian, why did the Father not stop the suffering of his son? Why didn't he stop that? Why? Love. Love to save us. In John 6, Jesus has some hard teaching. Things like, you can only come to the Father if I draw them, and just tough stuff like that. And John 6, 66, it says that after the disciples heard this hard teaching, they left. They left Jesus. They deserted. They abandoned Christ. They left, and Jesus turns to his other disciples and says, do you want to leave as well? Do you want to go? And Peter, in a beautiful moment, he turns to Jesus and says, Jesus, where else can we go? To whom else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. In the pain and the suffering and the heartache and the betrayal and the deceit and the anger and the broken love, do you, do you want to leave? Do you want to go? Do you want to leave Christ? Where else can we go? Where else can we go? You're the one who bore our suffering. You're the one who bore our shame. You're the one who bore our guilt. You're, by your wounds, we are healed. Where else can we go? Let me put up some statements for you. There's three or four of them, I think. Just listen to them. And then I'm going to close with some scripture. what you call a triple negative. It's not possible for the Father not to love us when we're not loved by others. It's not possible for the Father not to love His children when we don't love His children. It's 
It's not possible for us to do something that would stop our Father loving us. It's not possible for us to do something that would separate us from the Father's love. It's not possible that something painful in our lives shows that the Father doesn't love us. It can never be. It can never be that something painful shows that the Father doesn't love us. It can't be. It can't be. So let me soak you in these very familiar verses as we head to the close. You know them well. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Because I'm convinced that neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any other powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation can ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's not possible. Because this is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we love God with our broken love, but that He loved us with His unfailing love and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And then I want to close with this one. Because your love is better than life. My prayer for me, the heart cry of my heart for me, and my heart cry for you, is that the Lord's love would be better than life. What does that mean? that the Lord's love would be better than any, any failed love in this world. Because all human love fails. It fails. May His love for us be better than life. Amen? Just... Wonder for a moment. I'm going to ask the music team if they'll come and join us.